You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining you today after Florida defeats Missouri 41-17 to and an incredible bounce-back performance for the defense. Offense eventually finds its way, and we'll talk about it here on Gators Breakdown with Nick DeLatore from Gator Country and Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Guys, uh, first time in three weeks uh, we had a Gator game to cover uh, on Halloween night in the swamp there, and uh, certainly a fun game to watch from, from, from the Florida side, but I'm, I'm happy for that extra hour we got back because I certainly needed it. I, it, I, I was going to say, I don't feel like I earned the hour unless like I'm at a bar, and then the bar says, hey, we're not closing, you have an extra hour, or I'm already asleep, so... When I'm sitting at home writing and all of a sudden I'm like, it feels way later than 1.30. And I'm like, oh, it's because it's really 2.30. I don't feel like I earned that hour. I feel like I was just working. I'm still tired. No, you absolutely earned it. Whether you get it on the front end or the back end, man, that was that was glorious to me. You know, I went to bed, I think, at a reasonable hour before 2 a.m. I don't know about y'all. But then I got up early. And, man, yeah, what, what time did you get to bed? You, you scoffed at that. Come on. I, th- I think I went to bed at like four, which is five, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I drove back from. I can't do that. I, I don't I know if you were watching was, the game, Graham, but there was some there was some stuff that happened during the game. So I didn't really write about football. Even start about writing about football until like one thirty in the morning. No, I turned it off right before halftime and, and just fired <laughs> off my after, all my hot takes. Then I, I assume nothing happened after that. Well, yeah, yeah that's it. you you missed it then, Graham. You missed it. No, I, you know, I, I said this before we, we hopped on here, but I think a lot of people who were jumping the gun and saying, oh, fire Todd Grantham, he can't get this fixed in a year that we all have been pretty adamant is peculiar, new pieces. There are legitimate excuses for why we, what we've seen so far out of the defense uh, would be subpar. So I'm kind of surprised that more people aren't shocked because a few weeks ago, it was a lot of doom and gloom, and, and now we're sitting here 
after that game last night, and no one's talking about that dominant defensive performance. If you take out those last two Missouri drives, Florida's defense didn't allow an offensive touchdown and gave up less than 175 yards on offense. I mean, and there are so many other storylines to talk about. That's kind of the funny thing in the room, but so many people want to just focus on the defense a few weeks ago, and now they're forgetting about that we just saw a pretty dominant defensive showing with three-fourths of the secondary missing and a bunch of freshmen playing. There you go. Now we'll certainly get into all that, all that discussion. We won't forget about the defense here, but we'll also talk about the offense, their performance, and a new kicker, new kicker out there, Nick De La Torre. So uh, we'll uh, certainly get into that <laughs> as well. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. On YouTube, you guys that are watching us live right now, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Or if you just want the audio version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, guys, uh, no surprise. We heard the rumors all week uh, of players that would not play in this game for the Gators. Before the game, Florida confirmed multiple reports, and, and the Gators were going to be without. Here's the list. Marco Wilson, Sean Davis, C.J. McWilliams, Donovan Steiner, Quincy Linton, Evan McPherson, Ethan Pouncey, Avery Helm, Chester Kimbrough, Mordecai McDaniel, Cedric Brunson, Austin Perry, Jalen Humphreys, T.J. Moore, Ethan White. Uh, laundry list there. No surprise uh, after coming from COVID and everything that happened there. Uh, guys still, you know, we heard about the six additional that were uh, this game week of for the Gators. So not only, Nick, were you missing Marco Wilson, Sean Davis, as you know, those guys were pretty much labeled starters for this Florida secondary, you go down the list even more, or, you know, Donovan Steiner as well, then you go down the list even more, and Ethan Pouncey, Avery Helm, Chester Kimbrough, Mordecai McDaniels, guys you would expect to see on the field to contribute because the starters are out. Well, you're missing a bunch of guys there, too, that are labeled as reserves that probably would have played a good bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of like Graham said, you're missing three three quarters. And, and I remember somebody asked me uh, before the game, he's like, hey, are all these, like, are the guys sick or are they down there? I'm like, no, there are enough defensive backs that they can maybe have their own, you know, pick a basketball game. There's like nine, nine defensive backs on the field before the game. Um, to me, I thought going into the game, I'm looking, I was like, all right, there's two outcomes. Florida comes out and they play really well and they rally around each other and they think, you know, um, we had this crazy thing that happened and, and we're going to use this motivation and, and, you know, have an inspired game. I was like, or they're going to look like a team that didn't play, <laughs> that didn't play uh, football for two weeks and was battling a virus that attacks your respiratory system. And, and I thought the latter would probably be true. Um, but that's certainly not the case. And I mean, you look at guys like Rashad Torrance, um, Four tackles last night. The way he played, uh, Brad Stewart. I think Brad Stewart was probably the, the you know the key to all of that in in the secondary. Just being able to play that star position, played some safety last night, um, and then obviously getting Kyrie Campbell back. Um, I mean, Kyrie Campbell is not Aaron Donald, but you saw just what we I think what we talked about the last Gators breakdown was putting Kyrie Campbell in allows you to put Zach Carter where Zach Carter should be, and allows you to put Brenton Cox where Brenton Cox should be. And Brenton Cox finally looked like the five-star that earned the number one jersey that, that everyone was talking about all offseason. I, I think even – I don't know. I don't think it's like a, a, a true coming-out party, but that's what we expected Brenton Cox to look like. And I think it's all just because you insert Kyrie Campbell into the line and now you have guys playing where they're supposed to be playing. Yeah. Graham, and going, going to one of Nick's points there, you know, a lot of the last couple of weeks since we've had some time to 
you know, pretty much dissect this Gators football team is, hey, maybe all this versatility Florida has hurts them. But going to kind of Nick's point there, you had somebody like Brad Stewart actually take advantage of that versatility and, and that athleticism that he brings to the table, playing multiple positions and doing it well when Florida really couldn't afford any more injuries, couldn't afford uh, guys playing bad. Everybody in that secondary needed to step up and that you know, versatility, at least for one player there, helped out a lot. Yeah, I think you could make an argument that the cross-training uh, definitely is much, I don't want to say easier in the secondary, because I think when you've looked at the star position and, and guys who've made that transition from, from corner to nickel and, and vice versa, in a sense, it, that it necessarily isn't easier. It's much more complicated. But what we had seen the first few weeks of guys who had maybe played rush end through their first couple years of Florida and then were playing, have to be playing more inside like Zach Carter, that was less successful for Florida than getting a guy back like Kyrie Campbell. You see guys, uh, like you said, you know, Kyrie Campbell, Jaden Hill, who are able to contribute as well. Uh, Trey Dean, you got to hope that that ankle injury, uh, not too serious for him. Um, but having Brad Stewart play that, play that star position, you know, I, that's one that I would say that we really weren't expecting too much. You know, when we had talked about guys cross-training in positions, it was always Amari Bernie, Trey Dean, Marco Wilson, I wasn't expecting Brad Stewart to be available to play that star position and do it so well. You look at the three solo tackles, look at the pass breakup, uh, really that, that six solo tackles leading Florida in tackles really speaks to how all around of a performance it was by Florida's entire defense. But anyone saying that cross training was only hurting Florida can't leave out of the equation what Brad was able to do the other night. Absolutely, absolutely, guys. So we'll get into the game here uh, a bit now that we know everybody that, who was out and, and who contributed uh, throughout this game. Slow start on offense, but you know, not necessarily a, sl- a slow start overall on, on offense. They were moving the ball just fine, but on the first two drives, drove right down to the red zone and got bogged down there. Florida had 139 yards in the first quarter. Hard to criticize, you know, Florida throwing the ball uh, there in the red zone when it's worked all season long. Yeah, it just, you know, bogged down this game, had to settle for field goals there. And luckily, Chris Howard made his two his two chances there uh, filling in for McPherson. But uh, in, in looking back, you know, pretty much the, the biggest complaint for this offense in this game was the, the slow start. Uh, now, look, you can certainly be excused because you're playing for the first time in three weeks. And when you get in the red zone, look, that's a place where you really, really have to be in sync. You have to be at the top of your game. You can absolutely, you know, of course, revisionist history, Gators score 41 points, but you, you can excuse uh, what you saw there in the red zone, especially after what we saw come after that. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I think they looked like a team, you know, that, that hadn't played in a couple of weeks. But um, I, I think you can excuse it, but they're not going to be happy about it. You know, you get in the red zone, you have to settle for two field goals. You know, they're, they're not going to feel good about it. But I also think, and I, and I tried to get like a real answer out of guys because, you know, everyone before the game was saying, oh, we just treat it as a bye week. I'm like, listen, a bye week doesn't involve like <laughs> robotism and, and quarantine. That's not, that's not a typical bye week. Um, but, you know, they, they kept saying we just did our Zoom meetings and stuff like that. But, yeah, I think I think to your point, Dave, certainly kind of, you know, knocking some rust off um, the third drive, the interception. Um, I think that was just a breakdown from the offensive line and Trask yeah. kind of gets hit and has to rush a throw, gets tipped, um, but then punt, punt. So it, it certainly was a, you know, two field goals and interception, two punts. It's not a great, not a great start to the game for the offense, uh, you know, an offense that ends up scoring 41. But we also know uh, with good reason, I think, you know, you want to use the term revisionist history. I think that's fair in this case. 
uh, more so than any other cases, because you look at the previous week, I, I don't want to say that, I don't want to use that L word and say that anyone was lying, but I think in this case, you certainly have a coaching staff that has to minimize how much information they can really give out about the ramping up process so that they don't tip the hand to how much of a disadvantage they may possibly have. You have Dan Mullen before running into the halftime tunnel saying, we didn't really have an offensive line until Wednesday. You have, I guess, speculation that maybe a lot of your offense wasn't even able to practice for the first two days whatsoever. You know, I don't want to go into too much, um, but this wasn't something where guys just were waiting necessarily to get back on the field. You know, you use the term, by week, yeah, they didn't really have a time to relax, decompress. It was a lot of stress and anxiety about, okay, when am I going to be okay? When am I going to get back on the field? When, I'm, when, when am I going to have a chance to practice again? And yeah, so that sh- that shocked me when you when you consider all those things. Yeah, you can we can play revisionist history and say, well, you know, of course they're Heisman candidate offensive playmakers, and Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask didn't miss a beat, and of course Kadarius Tony continued as usual, but when you really think about it, how little opportunities they had to practice. And the other half of the equation, not to get too long here, is that Missouri, in my opinion, had looked fairly, fairly good mm-hmm. in the weeks leading up. I, I I, didn't put out my prediction ahead of time, but I'll say it now. I did think Missouri was going to at least cover the spread, if not win that game. I was so uncertain of this one more than anything because there were so many unknown variables. And you look at the fact that that Tigers team – put up more than 400 yards of offense against Kentucky who has looked decent this year. I, I would say better than the, some of the yeah. other teams on Florida. I would say better than Texas A&M. Let me say that. Well, I would say that, Kentucky, Kentucky's defense has looked better than Florida's defense. Absolutely. I think that's totally yeah. fair. And for Missouri to come out there and do what they did. And then you had Dan Mullen in the first two weeks, going back to their own comments saying they can beat you in multiple different ways. Let me just say it. I, I was very uncertain with this one. So, yeah, it's easy to do revisionist history and say, well, of course, their offensive playmakers did that. But that was not the case in the weeks leading up to it. And when you really look at what happened in, in the preparation aspect, it is even more surprising, I think. Yeah. I agree with that, yeah. Graham. I also thought just the way they beat Kentucky, that's the blueprint or was the blueprint to beat Florida. <laughs> they were able to just keep Kentucky's offense on the sideline by having these long, sustained drives. And that, and the you know the the game before that they showed okay if we need you out and score forty we can go and score forty and they did it against LSU, but I think LSU might be historically bad after Ooh. after watching their game with Auburn last night. Um, but that was my big concern was okay well the book on beating Florida is already out and Missouri did that so well against Kentucky, it's it's gut check time for the defense because if you can't get off the field. You're going to have an offense that runs 39 plays, 40 plays, and, and you're going to lose, you know, 28 to 35. Yeah, and part of that was, you know, Florida had all these guys in the secondary missing, and I, I've heard a lot of Missouri people talking like, why aren't they why aren't they targeting these, these, these Florida DBs? And I think a lot of it was Florida was able to shut down the run game early. I think Missouri knew their game plan, Nick, going to your point. Their game plan was to control the clock, keep the Florida offense on the field. It didn't matter if Florida was missing defenders in the, on the back end. They wanted to control the clock. They didn't want to th- go throw the ball, no matter who Florida was lining up out there. So uh, that was part of their game plan. And, and one more thing about the maybe slow start for the offensive line there. I mean, look, this was – the most, uh, Nick, as you laid out there, it was field goal, field goal, interception, punt, punt. 
this was probably the most I've seen Kyle Trash had to run around. Uh, at, so at any point this season, I mean, the first whole, right before, except right before halftime, you know, to me, he the first read wasn't there a whole lot, and he had to go scramble and, and make some play with make some plays with his legs, getting outside uh, the the pocket, trying to find something down the field. I mean, you, yeah, you look early on in this game, and you, I, I think you can really tell, especially to Graham's point about the offensive line not really being able to to get together till midweek. You could actually tell, and then by the time they had a, a first half under them, you get to the second half, you could, you know, it looked like the old Florida offense. Yeah, yeah, I would say it did. You know, that, that statistic about Trask with the four touchdown passes in four straight games really shocked me, but I guess it really shouldn't have because it was a couple weeks ago we were talking about how Kyle Trask had already done things that Tim Tebow hadn't done, and... Well, I guess I guess I could say that that shocked me as well, but it does seem to think, to use that term revisionist history again, that people overly harped on the defense's fault when maybe because of the loss, which is totally fair. But when you really look at it, if, if they had just fixed a few things on defense, as we saw in this past week, if the offense retains 80% production, I, I still think the run game can make some improvements. I, I think that Kyle Trask still continues to make some throws that are, yes, absolutely amazing, but ones that I, I'm sure that he would like back. If they fix even a few things, it is still this team that we had high expectations for just two months ago, and it is just kind of interesting to me how how much that one loss at Texas A&M changed everything, as if every team isn't having some problems here right now. Right. And guys, you know, this slow start on offense, we've kind of hit on the defense already. It really didn't matter. The defense was finally doing their job early in games. So settling for field goals, it really didn't matter. You know, for the first time this season, defense came out ready to play. Looked like it was a combo of things, uh, in my opinion, if you want to go there. I mean, look, you know, the defense didn't necessarily go out there and, and play a, a different style of offense. People wanted, you know, wholesale changes, different scheme, everything. Well, that wasn't going to happen <laughs> with, with Todd Grantham. He's got a scheme. Can you do some improvements within the scheme? Absolutely. And that's exactly what we saw. Uh, they, they, they did more of, you know, of what we thought would help. Uh, and it translated, first of all, getting Kyrie Campbell back. Uh, of course, we spoke on that. It makes an immediate difference up front. But you know, the biggest difference I saw on, on a more consistent basis were the defensive backs playing with more aggression, up close on the wide receivers, coming up and actually making tackles, you know, f- flying to the ball carrier. You know, that in combination with the pressure we, we saw up front early on, that was the biggest difference. Uh, to me, it didn't matter if if Marco would have been back there. It didn't matter if Florida would have had their normal starters back there. We probably would have got the same result, to me, because the pressure up front was what drove the whole game for, for this Florida defense. So, look, the coaches used the two weeks to identify things to change it within the scheme. Guys who were playing a lot this season, you know, already were making plays. They weren't uh, making most of – you know, they were, they were making – they weren't making the most of the season so far, but now you get those pieces together and Brenton Cox and Jeremiah Moon setting the edge, making plays in the backfield, Ventral Miller filling holes and stopping the Tigers run game. You know, all of that was noticeable for, from the start and, you know, the offense benefited. Yeah. And, and also if you, if you want to be, I don't think I'm being contrarian, but a bad defensive line or a defensive line that's not getting a pass rush will make any secondary look bad. Um, if you're asking guys to cover for six, seven, eight seconds, they're going to get exposed at some point. And, and Florida wasn't getting to the passer. Um, just adding in, you know, Kyrie Campbell. I mean, Zach Carter was getting pressure. Uh, Jeremiah Moon had a sack. 
last night. Uh, when was the last time he had a sack? So I, I think it was a patient sack too. Like he didn't bull rush. He didn't go get out of position. He kind of waited his time and chased down the quarterback to get a sack. Yeah. So I, I know everyone, I mean, Marco Wilson gets killed. And then, you know, I see on, on, on social media last night, it's like, Oh, what, what a coincidence. The defense hasn't given up a point and Marco's not on the field. I'm like, there's a, if, if you, you, you just want to be mad at one person then you just want to blame somebody if that was your reaction. Cause it's so, it was so clear to me that the defensive line played better, which helps the linebackers. And then if the defensive line is getting to the quarterback, that's going to help uh, everyone in the secondary. And you had a bunch of young guys in the secondary last night. So to me, it's not, you know, one thing affects the other and it kind of trickles down. So Florida's entire defense as a whole played better last night. I don't think it was because, you know, Donovan Steiner, uh, Sean Davis, and Marco weren't playing. Um, we're not, like you said, Dave, we're not going to get wholesale changes. That was the same defense that Ty Grantham has called in the first three games. Um, no big changes there. So to me, it's, Hey, if if maybe it was just Kyrie Campbell, but also, I mean, I look at this game and it wasn't a tale of two halves, but they definitely played differently after um, after that brawl at halftime. <laughs> and and um, the big thing for me, for at least for Florida's offense, and then for the defense was right before half. I said, "All right, Florida's getting the ball back. There's an opportunity to drive down the field here." With I think there were six minutes left before half. I'm like, "There's an opportunity to drive down the field here." get a touchdown, put some distance, and then you get the ball back at half. You can close this game out. And I've, like a broken record, I've been harping on that. You know, like I'm wearing a, a tinfoil hat with a conspiracy theory. Um, I've just been harping on have that killer instinct to finish games. And that's the first time I've seen it all year where Florida's offense was able to drive down the field, get that touchdown they needed, and then the defense gets a turnover and the offense goes down and scores again. Now, now you're like, all right, well, this game is – you start feeling like this game is in hand um, before halftime where – in the past three games, four kind of just lets teams hang around, lets teams hang around. Um, so to me, it just completely – like they were just checking boxes on things that I needed to see um, all season. We're just checking boxes last night. Grandma, one box to, to – one more box to check in this, and I'll let you get your thought in here. Florida didn't give up the big play either. There was the one wide open, you know, Brad Stewart got beat a bit. Uh, there was the one drop pass Missouri had. But besides that, I mean, there were not many big plays by Missouri. There wasn't even there wasn't even another play there that you could point to that say, hey, that was a big play opportunity there. You really only point to one play and that Missouri – one big play that Missouri could have hit. So, dude, you know, this Gators secondary and, and, and defense just in general really stepped up to the task. Yeah, it was it was Knox with that that 32 yard reception that was their longest one, and and before that he he could have had that longer one um, that he just kind of dropped. I think they had a couple drops there in the first quarter. So you, I guess you could make an argument that uh, Florida secondary was kind of getting their feet wet and, and shrugging some of that rust off initially, and they caught a break there, and Missouri didn't capitalize. But yeah, their biggest play otherwise was that defensive touchdown, that 59 yard yeah. interception return. Uh, you know. Anyone making the argument, though, back to Nick's point in a sense, that this team is categorically better or anything without Marco Wilson and Sean Davis and Donovan Steiner, I just think is misguided because, one, we just talked about the point of how hard it is to, to be able to play corner, star, nickel, whatever you want to call it, consistently and rotate between the two and know the assignments, what you're supposed to do in each individual defense. It, it takes an extremely smart individual so the team absolutely despite i think the small small minuscule athletic shortcomings with marco wilson is better 
with him on the field no matter what. And I do think that Brad Stewart is a better safety than he is a star despite his ability to play both positions and that getting Marco back will, will, like Dan Mullen said in the press conference, allow them to see more of their complete defense out there on the field along with Sean Davis. I mean, everyone knows that guy's a headhunter and some of those plays, you know, maybe aren't Florida catching a break there. And there is a safety providing coverage over the middle of the field there. So that is certainly something, especially against a Georgia team coming up here that has looked extremely, extremely qualified. Oh, and I got to, I got to mention, I think Dom Steiner uh, is good. I don't want to get anyone upset. I mean, for not mentioning him, um, I think his contributions as well, getting him back out there, um, especially against Georgia, will be much needed. Uh, you're, you're not facing, you know, a uh, Jake Fromm or Ethan or Justin Fields quarterback right now. You're you're facing Stetson Bennett, who um, looks kind of like the JV version of a, a Georgia quarterback in a sense. So you want as many pieces back there as possible because Florida's defense just showed that that they have the tools to go out there and do that. And uh, yeah, you just got to hope that they're able to return by by Saturday. Real quick, let me take us off the rails. Yep. Real, real quick, Dave. The audacity of Georgia fans. <laughs> like, who did you th- – first off, we had to hear about Jamie Newman being a Heisman contender and a first overall draft pick. And, and then we're hearing about uh, the kid from USC. And, well, he's better anyway. So, I guess they were going to split the Heisman. They were going to cut it in half, and they are each going to have one. And then you get some like this kid who, no offense to him, that's not he's not a good SEC quarterback, and you're kind of winning despite him. Um, and then you finally get exposed by Alabama, and then he looks like he probably should look last week. And and now it's just like, yeah, no, that's who he is. Like you, maybe you got a couple good games against some bad teams to begin with, but Jake Fromm ain't walking through that door, and and you don't have a good quarterback like you have in the past. And Florida Georgia can get weird. Um, but this yeah. is certainly the worst quarterback for Georgia that Florida will see in 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 some years. And look, let me say one more thing. Team, I got I got to take one more thing real quick. Yeah. Okay, you got to piggyback off the Georgia thing because there are so many Georgia fans out there as well who have taken their shots at Dan Mullen the last twenty four hours, last twelve hours about him pumping the crowd up after that coming out there for that brawl in the middle of the field. How many years ago was it that? Mark Rick led the Georgia Bulldogs out there yeah. onto the middle of the field after one touchdown. And, and I think they did end up winning that game. So give them some credit there, but it was one touchdown and they acted like they just won their first championship since 1980. So anyone taking a shot at Dan Mullen for coming out there and defending his quarterback and, and having a justified reason to storm the field probably should check themselves and look into uh, a little bit of retrospect. Yeah, we'll, def- we'll we'll get into the uh, the that the whole the whole moment thing before we do because uh, we're going through the game here. One player we absolutely have to uh, get a shout out here, you know. And Nick, going to your point, the offense gets it going right before halftime. Gators down seven six because of the interception return for a touchdown, and then three fifty one left in the first half, and then it becomes a Kadarius Tony show. <laughs> so he catches the uh, first play on that drive for uh, eleven yards, then caps it off with a ridiculous catch and run for 18 yards, making Tigers miss over and over, uh, giving the Gators the lead 13 to seven. Uh, and then the Gators defense comes up big um, with a, with a forcing a fumble with some pressure there. And then recovering the ball with a minute 15 left in the first half, very next play Kadarius Tony is wide open for a 30 yard touchdown. Gators take a 27 lead. 
with all this, it goes toward a great day for Tony. Four catches, 60 yards, two touchdowns, three carries, 23 yards, and a touchdown. He scored that rushing touchdown on the first drive of the second half to basically put the game away with a, with a 16-yard twisting, diving effort. Tony just continues to, to be a difference maker on the field. And I don't know how many times we can say it. it's like when we talk about Kyle Trask and we talk about Kyle Pitts, but you know, you, this performance can't go overlooked. And it's just one more, you know, another game now, game four, where there's enough out there. We have seen from Kadarius Tony to know that he has put in the work in the offseason. Hey, look, and this is what, what this wasn't a normal offseason. He did, it wasn't going out there and, and, and throwing with quarterbacks over and over again or, or, or training in, in, in the normal way. He needed a he need he needed a year uh, to get better. Needed a year to show growth, and he's he, he's done every bit of that through four games. Yeah, I just continue on a on a weekly play by play basis. Wonder how Kadarius Tony gets out of a predicament <laughs> and into the end zone. And, and and I I found the video of it was Dennis Rodman from the uh, Michael Jordan documentary, the last dance documentary. And they asked Dennis Robin to like explain how he was so good at rebounding. And then Dennis just starts like making these weird movements and making noises. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I would explain to you how Kadarius Tony scores. Cause I mean, a couple of weeks ago, it's when he's surrounded by, you know, five South Carolina players and he's in the, he's in the end zone. And then last night it's like, all right, well he ran into a pile of three guys. And then all of a sudden he's in the end zone by himself. It's like David Copperfield. Um, I, I, I'm getting to the point where I think it's just opportunity, though. Uh, and and after week one, I was like, man, this is the best. I tweeted like this is the best Kadarius Tony's ever played, and he didn't like it. he didn't like that tweet. Uh, <laughs> and, and he he's when we ever when we ever talk to him, he'll just tell us that it's just opportunity. But I think he has grown, um, and and, he, and he's matured. I mean, listen, Kadarius Tony wants the smoke, and he didn't do a single thing. Uh, when that fight broke out, he was right there in midfield and, and he just stood there and kind of watched it. So Kadarius Tony has grown and matured as a person, and as a football player. And I think what you're just seeing is a little bit of that growth, growth, and then way more opportunity than he's, than he's had in the last four years. He's taking advantage of it. Yeah, he is taking advantage of it. You know, I am with Nick a hundred percent when it comes to the amazement of what he's doing but I, I don't want it to get twisted here. What we aren't seeing is the amount of work that Kadarius Tony puts in in the offseason. And, you know, that that's a guy who is out there every single day running routes in his spare time. Um, you know, that is a guy who wasn't going to let the pandemic stop him from accomplishing his goals. I, you know, let's call it how it was. A couple of years ago, he – wanted to play quarterback at Florida and was recruited as a quarterback and kind of had his, I don't, I don't want to say his heart broken in a sense, but had to kind of come to terms that that wasn't going to happen for him, even though you've seen that Mississippi state game, I, I, what, two years ago now that he has the ability to still throw the ball, but literally kind of like Antonio Callaway had to completely learn the wide receiver position once he got to college. And his footwork, every his ability to understand the the route tree. I, I think that you could make a fair knock on him that he he was behind in the playbook until this year. But that's a guy who understands his role in the offense now and really can uh, is seeing how good he can be. And I I do think we kind of take it for granted because so much of it is natural. Because when you factor in the quarterback ability, how fast he is at multiple positions. 
the term Percy Harvin is just thrown around as if, oh, this is just another guy who's blessed with insane athletic ability. But let's not minimize how much work goes into making that happen. And I'm not saying you were doing that, Nick, whatsoever, but I, I think that you have to see that. Yeah. And, and again, the maturity, let's, let's add that in there as well with the whole AR, whatever you want to call it, scandal issue, <laughs> over-exaggeration, multiple terms were used for it, but there, I think was a sense that he had to grow up a little bit. And yeah, like you said, seeing him not rushing in the field, realize what he has to play for is bigger than just this game. And that if he isn't available for, for the Georgia game, if something happens, that is absolutely going to hurt Florida's chances of winning. And, and seeing him understand that is absolutely another sign that this is a guy who has taken huge steps since coming back to Florida. Yep, and now uh, we'll get to uh, – we can't bury the headline too long. They're the biggest headline of the game so far, unfortunately, uh, after a, a 41-17 victory for the Gators. Last play of the first half, Kyle Trask obviously hit late uh, after some pretty bad officiating all first half long. Uh, of course, Dan Mullen's not, not pleased uh, there in this situation. So, you, you, look – you can question if he should have run out on the field like he did. You know, players and refs were at the midfield where he was running, but it, it looked it looked to me like he was going to go give an earful to the refs. <laughs> so, uh, but that that it did escalate things. No matter what he was doing, it, it did escalate from there. Uh, it never gets to that point if the refs call the penalty like they should have. Uh, so, um, look, I don't blame Mullen for running out there, uh, I, but I can also admit that that event did escalate because of that. Uh, the fight breaks out. Zachary Carter, Antoine Powell get ejected for the rest of the game. Uh, we'll see if more suspensions uh, happen after the SEC reviews the incident here. Guys, it, it certainly wasn't a good look for college football. It blew up, uh, of course. Now, we've kind of already d- d- discussed, you know, rivals, of course, are going to take their shots, especially Georgia coming up this week uh, with that game happening. Uh, Missouri fans, of course, aren't happy about it. Uh, and, and Mullen going out there. They, of course, a lot of people go out there think that Mullen was charging after a player and, and, and giving the player that hit Trask an earful or whatever. To me, like I said, I, I just thought after after missed call, after missed call in the first half, I think Mullen was just kind of frustrated at the refs and was not too pleased with them and going to give them an earful. But uh, overall, just definitely not a good look. Florida, Missouri put out a joint statement today, kind of apologizing and praising the way the players and the coaches handled the second half of the game as that didn't go any further uh, as you know, many probably expected it to. Uh, but uh, it kind of, it, it kind of, you know, is, is the headline after a, a 41, 17 Florida victory, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. I mean, and Dan was growing more and more frustrated leading up to that moment. Um, I think he was heard on like TV yelling at one of the refs saying that's five, mm-hmm. like that's five and a, a couple of plays before, before Trask was hit. So like he was already telling them like, Hey, you've already blown five calls. He was mad before that. Um, I don't know if I believe or don't believe if Dan, Dan said he didn't see the hit on Trask, but saw like the reaction and was told on the, on the sideline. Listen, Dan running the way he did to midfield as passionately and ang- as angry as he was 1000% escalated the situation. But if I'm on if I'm on a team, I think a lot of the outrage comes from maybe people who haven't played organized sports or are too far removed from it. If I'm on a football team and my quarterback gets hit and my and I don't have an offensive lineman, shove, push, do something, stick up for, for the quarterback, I don't want that a guy playing. You need to stick up for your teammate if you think he got hit 
late, got hit high. That's what you do. I think Dan running out of the field escalated it. But like I said, it wasn't just one thing. He was already mad from from a bunch of plays that had kind of built up to that point. Did he escalate it? Yes. Do I think it's a bad look? Yes. But, but I think it's a bad look because Dan's kind of stuck his foot in his mouth for the last two, three weeks. And then there, the, everything that's happened has brought Florida football in the situation that they're in to more eyes, two more people. So like when – a Washington Post political writer chimes in on what Dan Mullen is doing. He is only doing that because of the national spotlight that Dan's comments and then Florida getting, you know, an outbreak of COVID have, have brought it to a point where you're getting political writers, even, you know, putting Florida football on that radar. So now you have people who don't really know Dan, don't really know Florida football, don't really know the situation like, like most fans do. And like we are talking about it chiming in and commenting. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of this stuff is getting blown up. It's people that shouldn't really be talking about Florida football are because we've gotten to, to a, you know, to a weird point with, uh, with some comments and then obviously some, some national breaking news with, uh, with COVID. So I, I don't think what Dan did is wrong. And I think everyone in that locker room will appreciate what he did. Uh, and I think the team looks completely different in the second half. Um, but he definitely did escalate the situation. Yeah, um, man, I, I'm right there with you. I'm going to echo a lot of what you had to say. Let me say first off, though, that Washington Post reporter, two-time Missouri grad right there in his bio. So a little bit of bias there. Got to say that. But, yeah, absolutely. Um, everything that – context matters. Let me start by saying that. And everything that Dan Mullen has – faced in the public sphere in terms of criticism and comments is he's brought that on himself. I think that we can all agree that he has commentated and spoken his opinion for several years. You can go back to when he tweeted out in July of 2016 while at Mississippi State, a pro RNC message. Anyone, no one told him to stick to sports at the time. He was he, he spoke up. We knew certain things behind the scenes during the summer, during workouts, during the George Floyd protests that flew in the face of, I think, the message that his team was trying to send. Um, and even recently, he has had no problem commentating on public health policy, so much so that Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland spoke up and said, Dr. Mike Lazardo said, well, if Dan knows so much about health, public health policy, can I call plays? And, and Strickland said, well, we're going to let Dan focus on calling plays for now on. And you still have comments that have drawn the ire of people outside. So seeing a brawl, if you want to call it that, a skirmish, whatever you want to call it. Nick, I think your opinion on this is so relevant because you are a huge fan of a sport baseball that sees the dugouts clear all the time and people don't even bat an eye and, and managers scream at officials swap spit within six inches away from each other. And, and people are like, Oh, that's, that's pretty badass." Like, so for Dan Mullen to face some criticism when a, a sport and you can add in hockey and other sports, so many other sports get away with glorifying brawls in a sense. 
it does seem kind of disingenuous and I understand why he would not like that. But like I said, context matters. You have to remember that he said some comments that make him seem ignorant of the pandemic at, at, at best and possibly, I don't want to get into what, what it makes him seem at worst, but so seeing a hundred plus people meet at midfield brawling when this many people already think this guy has no regard for the safety of public the public and his own players possibly i think reaffirmed those negative beliefs in many people's eyes that this is the guy who is not thinking of the bigger picture but it's an interesting situation I, i think that everyone inside the locker room like you said nick agreed with what he did and i did too once i saw the hit on trask many people said it wasn't targeting because he didn't lead with the crown of the helmet i don't care what you want to call it he went for his face and charged up three seconds after trask had unloaded the football absolutely it was a cheap shot no matter what you want to call it and if dan mullen had not run out there to defend his quarterback so many people would have been saying this guy says he's a developer of quarterbacks. Well, he just let his guy take his second cheap shot in the last 15 games. Remember the Cash Daniel incident a year ago? You know, there was a reason I put out that stat that said Florida's 45 and 16 in outscoring opponents after the halftime when Dan Mullen gets mad at halftime, going back to that Vanderbilt game, because absolutely you can make an argument that players are a little bit more inspired to play in the second half when they see their coach uh, willing to sacrifice his reputation, paycheck, whatever you want to call it for defending, for, for doing the job that the officials should be doing. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I think, I think, I think it just goes to what I said. I have no problem. Listen, you're playing a game where you're hitting people. (laughs) Like a lot of stuff that happens on a football field would would get you arrested. And and it's a game that we love. It's a violent game and you're going to have tempers that, that run hot. I had no problem with what Dan did. I think the only reason that there's as much backlash um, is because of the the public spotlight that has been on Florida um, and Dan the past couple of weeks. But like like Graham said, and I think Dave, sorry, we've we've hijacked the show here. <laughs> um, but I think I think you'll you'll probably agree is that I think Dan Mullen for me as a coach, um, that's what I would expect from my coach. Oh yeah, like I said, you know, like I've always said. For for me, you know, I'm I'm a fan first, the fan of me. I no problem with it at all. I just knew it was going to blow up outside of Florida. You 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 knew everybody else was going to jump on board and say, oh, but starting with COVID a couple of weeks ago and then up to this point as well. You know, people were just waiting to take another shot at Dan Mullen, and that's exactly what's happening uh, out there. But uh, yeah, no, no, I no problem whatsoever. As I said, I I completely understood it because I knew he was ticked. You know, I was watching him pretty much on the on the sideline that every time a call that didn't go Florida's way that should have went Florida's way. I was, I, you know, I, I keyed in on Dan Mullen and I knew he was frustrated. So as soon as that hit happened, I didn't think it was going to blow up like that, but I was like, okay, going to the locker room at halftime, he's probably going to, he's probably going to go uh, talk to the officials a bit. And I didn't expect him to run out there <laughs> like that, but look, I'm glad he did. Uh, he was defending his players. Uh, I think his players are going to feed off of it. We'll see if it carries over to next week or, or anything like that and see, you know, if Florida can build upon it like they did in the second half last week. So, uh, but yeah, defending me like that uh, and, and no issue with it uh, whatsoever. 
So, guys, let's uh, get into uh, some tweets uh, right quick before we uh, wrap up this episode here. So let me, uh, let me pull these up here and get our listener tweets. Uh, but Ryan S. at Go Gators uh, for Life says, Exceeded expectations. Offense started slow, but got its rhythm going late in the first half. Can't say enough about the way our defense responded uh, to adversity it faced the past three weeks. Trask looked awesome. Overall, great win. Bring on Georgia. Uh, Deontay Max says, can't express enough how refreshing it was to see our defense show up. I believe we have a championship. I believe we have championship depth if everyone is allowed to play in their natural positions consistently. Cox looks like a five star. So does Kadarius Tony. Uh, Calvin Felix says, uh, well, our, here's a question for us, guys, that, you know, we have to wait till next week, but we can kind of give our thoughts here. Will our defense continue? This is from Calvin Felix, by the way. Will our defense continue with how it left off, left off against Missouri, or will it revert back to what we saw against Texas A&M? Grantham always gets his criticism in big games like Georgia. So, of course, we're going to have to wait till we see what happens next week uh, with, with, with uh, Florida and Georgia. Last couple weeks, and it, you know, Florida going into that game, and, and Todd Grantham has pretty much laid an egg. Last year, overall, defense wasn't bad. Situational defense was bad, not being able to get off the field uh, on third down. So we'll see what continues uh, as these two teams meet, meet next week. But, yeah, what are we going to see? Is it going to look like the defense from the first three games, or is it going to look like the defense from, from what we saw uh, yesterday? So you hope everything that they identified these last couple weeks, you hope that's what carries over to the Georgia game. Yeah, so <clears> – <throat> Is this a one-off Gator defense that we saw, you know, or, or is this the Gator defense? And, and, I, and I think, you know, you're going to get some guys back and you'll see different players in, but Florida certainly created depth. And, and maybe I was wrong. You know, I, I kind of downplayed, other than being able to put the guys in positions, I kind of downplayed Kyrie Campbell. But Florida's defense was good last night. Like you said, Dave, this is a Missouri offense that, that's put up 400 yards, that's put up 40 points. and you held them to 40 rushing yards. And I think that's where it's, that's where it really started. And you, Missouri came in with, you know, the game plan and and I called it the blueprint and Florida punched him in the face and literally, but punched him in the face and said, Hey, that plan's not going to work. What's your plan B? And Missouri's answer was, uh, <laughs> we came in with plan a, um, and that's what you'd love to see from a defense. Florida, Florida's defense showed up, shut down what they knew Missouri was going to try to do. And, and, they didn't have they didn't have another answer for it. That's that's the defense I want to see come out against Georgia. And I think this week is going to be if we're talking about players being hot. You don't need you don't need any extra motivation for Florida Georgia in Jacksonville. So I'm really looking forward to this game. And and maybe I'm just a prisoner of the moment, but I'm way more confident after watching Florida's defense. And that's the same Florida offense that that we know is going to be there. They're going to score 40 points. Um, I'm way more confident heading into this week than I was. Um, after Texas A&M or, or the previous two weeks heading into Florida, Georgia. Grandma, I think it was easy to say we were going to see some changes for the Florida defense, with given, given that big of a break and, and given the future performance versus Texas A&M. And I, I even said after that, look, there's still going to be – there's still going to be great moments. So there's still going to be a great game at some point this season from, from defense. It doesn't mean that's what the defense is going to be afterwards, but that's the question here. You know, can they carry over what we saw last night versus Missouri to next week? Yeah, I, I would think that there is less of an excuse for the defense to carry over than a, a possible offensive drop-off in a sense. You look at what Georgia's defense has done, I'd say that they have been more convincing 
than their offense by far. So if anything, I'm expecting Florida's offense to be disrupted, disrupted in Jacksonville next week, which makes exactly what you're saying, a point for, for Todd Grantham's defense to carry over what they just did because there should have been – if there was going to be a letdown game, it should have been against Missouri because of all the conditions, the lack of guys in the secondary, the lack of practice, the fact that Missouri is coming off of 400 offensive yards against Kentucky. That was the big game in my mind where if you're going to see Todd Grantham not show up again, it was right there. So if you just show that you can do it against a Missouri team where the, the deck was stacked against you, now you're playing a Georgia team that really, if you rush eight – and make Stetson Bennett beat you, you should have a very, very good chance. And unfortunate, unfortunate injury news up there in Athens. So, I, you know, I don't want to even factor that into the discussion as well. But you're getting a team that not at full strength defensively. So if the defense doesn't show up and it's that Florida's offense doesn't show up, absolutely the pressure is on Todd Grantham once again. He has to have a repeat performance from this past Saturday. All right, more thoughts from here and a lot of – Featured on the defense here, Kyle Humphreys. Finally, our defense looking like what we thought it would at the beginning of the year. Feel extremely, um, feel extremely confident going against Georgia, but we have to get over that hump. Uh, Donovan German says defense look inspired. Haven't seen that this season. Campbell helps because better push up front makes it a little easier for the DBs. Campbell Slayton is in middle is good. Hope Carter isn't suspended for Georgia game. Offense mm-hmm. caught fire. Get the playmakers the ball. Good things happen. And then one more, we can kind of go through this one. TC Eagle Chomp says Kyrie. Kyrie Campbell was massive in the 2018 Peach Bowl, massive in the 2019 Orange Bowl, solid throughout his whole career. No one in the media ever talked about this until he was missing this year. And the guy has been underfollowed and underappreciated. He was the difference. And it, it definitely is going to be interesting, guys, to kind of see um, how the, I think, defense even even built upon him because, look, he, he made, and, and surprisingly to me, he made big plays late in the game, and this was his first game of the season. You know, he hasn't been conditioned like the other guys out there playing three games and him out there with those and, and having the same struggles those guys were. He was, this was his first game back, you, and I probably you know expected a little bit. Uh, he's probably going to be a little worn down by the time third quarter, fourth quarter gets here, but here he is late in the game making some of the biggest plays for the defense. <clears throat> And that's and maybe that's just the veteran leadership. And, and, and um, you know, we talk about how Kadarius Tony's mature and, and taking care of his body. Um, Kyrie, Kyrie Campbell wasn't sitting on his couch eating donuts. Like, he, he looked ready to go. And uh, I always love what uh, Chris Rumpf said. He's like, I learned when, at Alabama with Nick Saban. He's like, those defensive linemen, they have one gas tank. And they don't refill it at halftime. They don't refill it during the game. When those big boys are on the E, He's like they're on E for the rest of the game, and, and and like you just said, Kyrie Campbell not not just making plays on the first drive or the first two drives, but making plays late in the game. Um, and, and then I, I know we're we're talking about him, but I mean like Jaden Hill had a great game, a young player. Um, Travez Johnson looked really good, and and you're seeing a lot of just the the depth um, that Florida has, and and. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about Florida's defense, and, and I have an email. I'm still waiting on the SEC to answer or give some clarification. I, I don't think they've made a decision yet um, on on Carter and, and those guys. Um, I did hear one referee expert that was on ESPN last night say, mm-hmm. listen, if the clock is 0-0, that means you're in the second half. Um, but I also don't know. So in terms of that suspension, we're, we're thinking of targeting. And it's if you're, if you're ejected right. for targeting in the first half of the game, 
then you miss the second half of that game, you're good for the next week. I don't think fighting and targeting will be uh, judged the same way. So that's what I keep trying um, to tell people too. Th- those aren't the same aren't the same punishments. Right. Right. And, and I think that's kind of just what we immediately go to because it's oh well you got ejected. So what's the ejection rule? Well, well you were got ejected for you know different things. Um, so to me, uh, I, I, I would I would expect we'd have an answer by Monday. By the time by the time we talk to Dan Mullen on Monday, I'm expecting an answer. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. But uh, I and I also think this won't this will go right to Greg Sankey's desk. Uh, it's Florida, Georgia. Obviously, the you know the the brawl, the fight's getting a lot of publicity. Does he want to come down and make a statement, or do you you know? I think in a, in a fair world, I would I wouldn't suspend those two guys. They missed half a game already. Yeah, to to me, Graham. I I mean, maybe I'm looking at it through orange and glasses. Time served to me should probably be enough. If if, if you were going to suspend them for the first half of next week, we look. They just missed, um, they just missed a half of football by getting ejected. Uh, you know, right at halftime uh, for this game. And then one example I brought up. You go back last year, George Pickens, Georgia wide receiver. Georgia, Georgia Tech, he gets into a big one-on-one brawl against a Georgia Tech player in the third quarter of that game. He suspended for the first half of the SEC championship game the, the the next week. So they did, you know, they didn't say, okay, well, the fourth quarter in that game was enough. He's suspended for the first half of the next game as well. But this is a little different to me with two players being suspended a whole entire half already. Yeah, I, I think that you also have, you have Zach Carter coming out immediately after the game saying that was out of character for me. I apologize for my actions. I, showing remorse right after the fact, first-time offender. I think that, yeah, time served, absolutely. I think, if anything, it's more likely that we see the SEC announce something similar to what Lane Kiffin experienced last week, where they come out and say we're making a statement and criticizing Dan Mullen for his comments uh, and for charging at an official. You've seen them find uh, – coaches $25,000 just for tweeting or that a decision was poorly made by the either the SEC officiating office or the officials, I wouldn't be surprised if you go back and look, you know, they, they can review the tape also of what Dan Mullen yelled at the officials and whether that w- is deserving of a fine. I would not be surprised if that was the case uh, come, come these next couple of days um, because I, I think that would be a little bit deserved no matter how you spin it. Just like I, I made the, uh, point about Georgia being willing to take the fine, take the flag on their celebration. It's what it did for your team in the second half. It pumped your team up in the second half. And one more quick point that, that Nick was answering, you know, I think it is a little bit revisionist history to say that no one hyped up the importance of Kyrie Campbell because we have specifically written about and talked about and said many things about how important Adam Schuler joining the program was and how South and Ferry's defensive line recruiting what happened late in that cycle resulting in just them getting one guy and no guys another cycle how that lack of depth how they had addressed in the transfer portal how that was going to come back to bite them so yeah we say Kyrie Campbell was so important and I'm not taking anything away from his talent but it's the bigger issue is that they didn't have anyone able to step in with significant reps behind him it was mainly freshmen behind him or moving a guy over previously like Zachary Carter which which had a little bit of mixed results so certainly in my mind, revisionist history, anyone saying that uh, we, we weren't hyping up the importance of Kyrie Campbell because you look behind him, uh, it was a pretty scary situation if he was out. And unfortunately, that, that, came, that became a reality this season for Florida. Yep, yep, yep. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. Take a look around the SEC right quick from games that happened uh, as well yesterday. Alabama, no problem with Mississippi State. Not, uh, you know, no huge surprise there <laughs> at all. Florida's next opponent, of course, Georgia struggles against Kentucky 14-3. Um 
Stetson Bennett getting passes batted down the line of scrimmage again, getting picked off. Once again, guys, here we go. Two years in a row, Georgia's kind of limping in <laughs> to the Florida game. No bye week this time to get things kind of corrected. So we'll, 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 we'll see uh, where it goes from there. But, uh, you know, Joy Gatewood makes his first start for Kentucky and not necessarily anything going for that uh, Kentucky uh, offense. But the biggest story here is Graham brought it up. Georgia is fighting a ton of injuries coming off of this game. Richard LeCount was injured after the game in Athens uh, in an unfortunate uh, traffic accident. So uh, he's sounds like he's going to be out for that game. But Georgia's still going to have to monitor a lot more injuries uh, after they played Kentucky and won 14-3 yesterday. Yeah, you know, I just hope that Richard is, is okay. You know, motorcycle is absolutely uh, a scary thing. It, it sounds like you know, I don't want to speculate what he's dealing with, but it sounds like uh, it's it's not going to be life-threatening, but it definitely is serious. So, um, you know, a situation that, as we just talked about with Florida, rallying around some of the issues that they faced, you know, heading into their biggest game of the season without their biggest, their senior leader on defense, is Georgia going to rally on defense and turn in their best performance of the year, kind of like what Florida just did? That is something I am absolutely watching. But you look at the, Florida defense, what they just did. You look at the Florida offense staying in tune with, with Kyle Trask, four touchdown passes once again. We're going to say what we said in the offseason. If not now, when? The quarterback situation is not what we even thought it would be a few months ago. They don't have the former five-star guys or a likely first-round pick, depending on what NFL draft analyst you're listening to. The, the offensive line is good. But it's missing its offensive line coach and Sam Pittman is doing some great things there at Arkansas. You look around, I just think that if the Gators are going to get over the hump under Dan Mullen, and obviously it could happen in the future, but who knows if the potential down-the-line opportunities are as ripe for the picking as they are right now with you can actually win the conference. If not this weekend, I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I am feeling extremely confident in Florida's chances given everything we just saw if they can get some more of those pieces back and stay healthy that is the key thing you have to get back into your routine get back to practicing get back to business as usual because you don't have any more second chances and they still have to do that Absolutely, absolutely there. And uh, we'll get Nick in here in just a second. Let's wrap through the rest of it. Texas A&M, 42-31 over uh, Felipe Franks in Arkansas. Uh, I thought the game might be a little closer there, uh, but Texas A&M wins at home, putting up 42 on that Arkansas defense. Uh, so Texas A&M might be finding their way uh, as they wade through this season after losing to Alabama, upsetting Florida, and now uh, they look to be on their way. Uh, they'll probably be favored in the rest of their games the rest of the season. So we'll see what Texas A&M does uh, with that. Of course, 41-17 Florida over Missouri. Perhaps the biggest surprise of the weekend, guys. Auburn 48, LSU 7. Wasn't really a game. Auburn come out from the get-go uh, putting up points on that LSU defense. And uh, Tigers, or LSU Tigers, have a whole lot of questions uh, there as they move forward through the rest of the season. Uh, no surprise either. 54-21 Ole Miss over Vanderbilt. And uh, Ole Miss continues to put up points behind Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, and, and that offense. Nick, uh, anything around the SEC uh, catch your eye, man? Um, yeah, I think I think maybe Georgia got exposed a little bit in, in that win against Kentucky. Um, is Texas A&M better than we thought <laughs> than we thought they were? And um, I mean, talk about 
selling your soul <laughs> for an undefeated season and a, and a championship ring. Um, I don't know if this will be a popular comment. But my heart goes out <laughs> to LSU. They are awful. <laughs> they are really, really bad. Uh, but, hey, you, those rings are there forever, and that 16-0 is there forever. But, man, you're taking it on the chin this year, really paying that off. They put that whole 2019 season on credit, and the bank came and the bank came and said, "Hey, buddy, bills due each week on Saturday this year." And they're like, "Okay, I happily make that trade." Well, they also they went from Dave Aranda to Bo Pelini. I mean, Bo Pelini, I don't think he makes it to the end of the season. And I was saying a few weeks ago, "Oh, you can't fire a coordinator making millions of dollars." You can. I mean, you can if he's doing that. Look also, you, you can look at the Mississippi State game. Look at what Mississippi State has done since that LSU game. We were sitting there after week one being like, Mike Leach is a revelation. Anyone who didn't think the air raid would work in the SEC after one game, what have they done since? Well, here's, what, here's, has, and, what has yeah. Mississippi State done since? And, and you bring up a good point, uh, uh, Graham, about the defensive coordinator in, in LSU. Here's what, here's what I don't happen trying to connect the dots to what we talked about earlier this episode. There was a lot of talk of LSU in South Carolina last week and LSU's defense playing better. And that they, hey, maybe they figured it out. They, they, they held this South Carolina offense down. Uh, they, a lot of people were picking South Carolina to win that game. Maybe LSU had figured some things out. Well, a week later, <laughs> they get blasted by a very average Auburn offense. So, you know. Maybe the, the one-game blip like we saw from the LSU defense, a one-game improvement, it didn't hold up. Hopefully. That's not the same story for the Gators defense. You have a one-game, you play a whole lot better, but then you revert back to what we had seen before the very next week. Not. Hopefully not. So, guys, uh, anything else? Wrap up this episode? No. Pumped up uh, pumped up for Florida, Georgia. Uh, it's going to be even weirder for us in, in the press box with you know limited fans, but – um, this is I the one where it, it's really. This is really going to be 2020. Like seeing no this, world's yeah. largest, not not seeing world's largest outdoor cocktail party is going to be absolutely weird. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, you you living in Jacksonville. I mean, this yeah. is a this is an event. It's not just a Saturday event. It's a week long event, and it's just it's going to be weird this year. Um, but I, I'm I'm definitely way more excited. And, and I think Florida fans should be way more excited about this game than, than they were two weeks ago. Because two weeks ago, you're probably thinking, crap, here we go again. You know, it's Florida. We're going to go in there and Kirby's going to beat us. And it's another year of having grown men bark at me on Twitter. And uh, and I feel, I feel much better about it after watching Florida's defense um, last night. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, you know, I think that – Florida's defense definitely showed that that a lot of people out there, and, and you heard the comments from Dan Mullen, a lot of people on the outside kind of gave up on him after one poor performance when we, what we've come to know is that this is a Florida team that has made their their, their butter and, and their, their money, in a sense, off their defense when the offense wasn't there. And I didn't think that that was going to get lost overnight. Yeah, you're going to sometimes get gashed for big plays. That's just what – you, you get when you have Todd Grantham as your coach. And I think that everyone has come to understand that and live with that in a sense. So with that being said, it, as long as he can have that consistency aspect and avoid that big game letdown, which call it however you want, but I think there is some evidence of that. <laughs> I, I don't want to be the one to indict him necessarily, but everyone says that. And there's a lot of, 
proof of that in the scoreboard. So as long as they avoid that letdown and get some of these pieces back, I do think that getting Sean Davis back and Donovan Steiner back, Marco Wilson back, will absolutely help uh, this team. If they can get them back, um, I, I think that this is the year that Florida does it. But knock on wood in a sense because y- you never know. If Stetson Bennett comes out there and he has a Jake from 2019-type performance where he looks like – Bizarro, Jake Fromm, as if he's a man possessed, as if someone told him you're going to be drafted right after the game if you go out there and win this game. <laughs> then I'm going to be like, okay, Florida's cursed. I'm going to think that kind of like what Nick said about LSU that they put all their all their chips on that game every single year. Who cares what happens down the line? If they come out there and, and have the best game of their line, life, I think that Florida needs to look back and be like, why can't we do that every single year against Georgia? Because the fan base certainly wants them to do that absolutely sets up for another big one what third third year in a row both teams are in the top 10 when they, when they play each other i think ever since dan mullen come in so um absolutely big game big game in jacksonville once again so nick de la Torre from gator country graham hall from the gainesville sun joining us right here on gators breakdown i'm the host of gators breakdown david waters you can follow me on twitter at gator dave underscore sec guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown